Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Noel Castler podcast. I'm back here with my main man, Jumping Jimmy Kennedy. He's got his tie-dye shirt on. He's all ready for the weekend. Mom went away, and Jimmy going to play, right? Absolutely. House to myself for the weekend, so who knows what's in store for uh, LLJK, you know? Oh, shit. We'll, we'll, keep it, we'll keep it wide open. We'll see. Keep it PG, brother. <laughs> That's right. We'll, we'll keep it PG for, for now. But you went to a show last night. Pretty exciting, huh? Yeah, I went to see my friend Zebra, which was a killer band that I was really into in the early 80s and uh, mid 80s and uh, kind of cut my teeth going to their shows in the Hudson Valley and taking photographs of them playing. That's where I developed my interest in rock photography, which if people don't know, if you ever do a deep dive on my Instagram, it'll blow your mind. Just scroll <laughs> through the last few years that I've been doing comedy and you'll be like, Oh my God. It's Cause I took a lot of pics at the rock and roll hall of fame and, you know, various events and I'm friends with Danny Clinch and Kevin Mazur and a lot of the leading guys. So I would always jump in there in the pit and take my own uh, photographs. But um, anyway, so let's get into it, Jimmy. It's been a crazy week. I just announced another show, by the way, really? guess where, guess where I'm playing, Jimmy. Uh, I'm going to guess Boston. This time. Oh, your name's Kennedy. So that was a good, <laughs> good, good. I'm going to your ancestral grounds. I just announced it. It's the day, you know, it's the day before, what do you call it? Christmas Eve. You can tell I'm a good Christian, can't you, Jimmy? I'm really up there. <laughs> yeah. The day before right. Christmas Eve is a Thursday. So Thursday, December 23rd at 6 and 9 p.m. I'm going to be at City Winery Boston in their beautiful Haymarket Lounge. So you can come on out, have some food, have a couple drinks, and we'll kick off the Christmas season with your boy, Noel. I'm going to be called <laughs> Noel until then. I, I bought some umlauts on Amazon and I'm changing this class and this name up. So come out and celebrate <laughs> Christmas. Obviously in two weeks, two weeks from last night, I'm going to be at the wall street theater in Norwalk, mm -hmm. Connecticut. That show is going to be lit. going to be a nice, beautiful theater show. So come on out. And then I'll be in New York city at the end of January, but let's get into this week. You know, we're, we taped this show on a Friday and uh, we recap the week's events, but I gotta, I gotta start with Aaron Rodgers because it's, you know, I'm so tired of my Twitter feed being sort of dictated by Joe Rogan's medical advice, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it, it, it's, it's an obvious extension of MAGA and stuff that there's this sort of bro culture of thinking like, you know, they sort of sound quasi intelligent and speak like they've done some research on issues. And, you know, it ties in with this whole libertarian kind of mentality that seems to be so prevalent, you know, your barstool sports kind of Howard Stern kind of, you know, that just, that kind of just dumb bro culture, <laughs> you know, yeah. is like, has influenced legions of people. And of course, I'm talking about Aaron Rodgers, you know, and this breaking news that he went on some guy's interview show, I think the Barstool Sports guy and started talking about, you know, well, I did my own research and I talked to my good <laughs> friend, Joe Rogan, and he recommended I take Ivermectin. It's like, dude, you know, you're the human equivalent of a thoroughbred horse. So first of all, how did the Green Bay doctors not get wind of this? You know, the many okay. millions of dollars you pay for your like star player, your quarterback, right? How are there not like 10 doctors completely monitoring him and, and you know, not telling him what to do, but like filling his ear better than Joe Rogan <laughs> is, you know, concerning basically the major health issue of our lifetimes. 
you know, besides the daily grind and disaster of cancer and all these other medical issues, this sort of flare up of this pandemic is the sort of health thing that you're facing and it's health and society and the guys performs in public arenas with a bunch of other dudes standing right in front of him where he when he yells hut one hut two like how are you going to be that guy knowing he was just spitting covid molecules on you for the last six weeks you know it's shameful because he's getting paid more than anybody on the team i assume and as you know and not everybody gets paid the same amount of money <laughs> you know and, and the dudes that put their bodies on the line get paid the least you know, the dudes in the trenches on the, you know, offensive line. And it's just, it's, it, it's remarkable to me that somebody would jeopardize such a lucky vantage point in life in such a privileged position, making all that money, playing a goddamn game for a living that most people have to give up when it's time to, you know, put on big boy pants and go into the work world. They put on tights and go run out on a field every Sunday with a bunch of cheerleaders and a bunch of dudes drinking beer, cheering them on like they're gladiator gods. You know, that's got to be a fun gig compared to what most people have to do. So why wouldn't you do the very least to protect your fellow workers, protect your industry, your league, and, and be aware of what we're facing as a nation, where we're gingerly crawling out of this thing. And guys like Joe Rogan were playing arenas at the height of the Delta flare-up, you know, with Dave Chappelle, <laughs> the same sort of mentality of like, I hate woke culture, don't censor me. No, you know, there's reasons you have parameters in a society. It's to keep things in check, like the spread of infectious diseases. So that have somebody who's thought of as a hero and it is obviously a great athlete. I mean, I got pictures of them I took on the field when they won the Super Bowl. But it's just, you know, it shows you how pervasive the ignorance is and how it is metastasized into so much of our mostly white male and female culture. You know, it's the same kind of people that put that Virginia guy as governor on Tuesday as, as are listening to this. And don't realize how stupid they sound when you're saying like, I have access to probably the best doctors in the world. You know, I have the best health insurance. I got more money than God. And I'm going to call up Joe Rogan, you know, <laughs> and ask him for medical advice on something that he's been talking to Alex Jones about and a bunch of dudes from the comedy store for the last year. Like, no, <laughs> you know, like you don't do that. Well, and the guy that interviewed him, Pat McAfee, before he landed this job at SiriusXM, he was with Barstool Sports, started a uh, Indianapolis chapter, okay, uh, for Barstool Sports here, and it, it eventually turned into the gig that he has now. But for a quarterback, especially, you know, that's a that's a position of leadership. When you go onto the field, you're the guy leading that squad, that side of the ball onto the field, and you can't even take a basic vaccine and you know, I, I grew up watching Peyton Manning, a guy who single-handedly could change the outcome if he didn't play on a given Sunday. Not only are you subjecting the team to a possible loss, but playoff business, like bars around Green Bay that are dependent on Aaron Rodgers to play and perform well so that the Packers win, those guys are losing out on money too because Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to take a damn vaccine. So for all the Republicans that are worried about small business, the guy that's going to bring in a lot of folks to those bars doesn't want to take a vaccine so that you guys can make money. Yeah. So how much does Aaron Rodgers really care about Green Bay? Well, think <laughs> about it in terms of this, Jimmy. Green Bay is owned by the fans. 
right? right? It's the one franchise where all these fans have a stake in the ownership, right? Which is yeah. a wonderful thing that we've always applauded. He spit in the face of that because he's jeopardizing that whole franchise the rest of their season. It's the middle of the season. He's not respecting that. And, and like you said, there's that economic fallout that's going to hit a small town, you know, like Green Bay. It's a small place. And, and it's also all they have. You know, there's other cities where like, you don't even notice you have a couple football teams, <laughs> you know, a New York team could disappear and nobody would really care. Right. But like, we'll go on. There's other things to do is my point. There's nothing else to do in green Bay. They'll go watch a football game in three feet of snow and 10 below weather. <laughs> Cause that's all they have to do. It's either that or sit at home and eat kielbasa. Right. <laughs> that's all they do. Yeah. Right. It's uh-huh. cheese curds and stuff. I'm just kidding. You know, <laughs> Wisconsin's an awesome state. But my point is, it should mean even more to you because we've always held up your team and city as an embodiment of what football stands for. You know, this working man's just get up in the cold weather and play outside and be a man and shut up and be a teammate whoever their famous coach is. Like, it's Lombardi. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's the fucking, his name's on the trophy <laughs> that they right. give you, you know? So you're spitting in the face of all that. You know, if you told a factory worker in, in the height of sort of industrial America in the 50s, like, you're going to have to take a shot today to continue to get to go to your factory and put food on your kid's table and help them make a better life. All of them would do it, okay? <laughs> they all just got back from doing a lot worse in World War II storming beaches where they knew they were going to die like and maybe the 10th guy behind them might get up the cliff we're not showing the bravery and metal that has defined so much of what american masculine culture always portended to be and dressed up in uniforms to be you know football's a metaphor for battle right it, you know it, it's it's a game where dudes are essentially trying to kill each other without really killing each other right but like that's what it's there for it evokes you know it's not a graceful situation it's brutality right it's physical brutality and that gets a lot of visceral enjoyment out of the audience and it's got its healthy you know it's not all bad is, is what I'm saying. You know, obviously the NFL's bad and they covered up what that does to the human body and brain more specifically, but it's a business. That's not the only business that knows its product will kill you. <laughs> like money's yeah, more important. You know, Joe Manchin's driving around in a Maserati heading out on two weeks vacation today. He doesn't <laughs> care. His job was to stop that legislation, to drag it out, right? Kristen Cinema dragged it out they had to drag it out through the november election and now mitch and those guys are going to just obfuscate everything until the midterms and yeah they'll still get it passed but my point is it should have been passed three weeks ago a month ago and then there would have been something to campaign on in virginia but that's the what it is And, and i'm trying to like show how that's all tied in our biggest problem in america right now is ignorance and sort of this tribalistic like my team their team you know, he's clearly also saying, Aaron Rodgers, what team he's on, right? Because I, I read right. the transcript of the interview and it's all about, well, the Johnson and Johnson's vaccine sucked. And who are they to tell me what I can do with my body? And I'm worried about sterility. What are you worried about? What do you, you already dated Olivia Munn and you didn't have a kid with her. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? It, it's all yeah. downhill from now anyway. <laughs> like, what you? That's a joke. She's beautiful. My point. But you know Uh, what I'm saying? Like, you really want to have kids that bad. You blew that one. John Mulaney beat you to to that. 
punch. He's having a baby with her, you know? Well, and, uh, he dated Danica Patrick for a while, dude. She's not the nicest person. And with, in my experience, having talked with people who have dealt with her at the Indy 500, um, I don't know. It's up to Aaron. I'm who am I to judge on who Aaron dates? But. Well, he's going to, you know, he's, he's going to be dating Tommy Lauren next because he just limited <laughs> his thing, you know, and I don't want to get him in the gossip. I don't know anything about the guy, but I remember on The Bachelor, his brother was on The Bachelor and like oh, yeah. he, Aaron's estranged from the whole rest of the family. He doesn't talk to his parents and his brother. He doesn't go back to his hometown in California, which when I heard about that, I'm like, that's really odd. You know, yeah. like you're not having your family there and you're winning championships and Super Bowls like you're that estranged from your core family. And look, I, I haven't talked to my dad in 20 years or 15 years or something. You know, I, that can happen. <laughs> I got large chunks of family that I don't know that well. But the impression I got is that like Aaron was the common factor, you know, in whatever that split is. And it, it, I'm just saying that's sort of a red flag. Like you got some kind of oppositional defiance or unhealed trauma in you and and that's what this stuff appeals to you know that's what magaism is it's a way to be a punk it's a way to be an asshole publicly that's what let's go brandon is all about it's having an inside joke with other people and getting to be disruptive and getting away with it and now it's branded you know it's on the the shitty dress that like lauren bobert wears to the match slap cocktail party like cpac prom or whatever the hell that was last night i don't know if you saw that picture jimmy like what yeah. are they doing in tuxes you know like what are they doing celebrating well i'll tell you what they're doing jimmy they're celebrating the fact that they're basically winning they've made enough noise and bought enough time now that they're gonna get away with stuff you're gonna have 30 lauren boberts come the midterms you're gonna have a rod DeSantis or somebody making a serious play for the White House. It may not be Trump again, but it'll have Trump's little handprint all over it. I'm gonna be crying in Indianapolis in about a year uh, with <laughs> with the results that are gonna be coming out. But yeah, man, like I saw uh, DeSantis uh, at one of his press conferences, and you know he referenced the Brandon thing. A guy tweeted me last night with the Thursday night football game uh, between the Colts and Jets. Uh, speaking of New York teams, uh, you know, they had a let's go Brandon chant going up in the Raptors in section 400 at Lucas Oil Stadium. You know, like I used to think that sports was one of the few things that united people, but it's it's become this let's go Brandon thing has permeated into sports now. <laughs> the one thing that kind of would bring people together regardless of political ideology. So that's oh. kind of disappointing. You know? Yeah. And you're going to hear that. You'll hear that chant at the Super Bowl. I guarantee you, dude, uh -huh. that chant oh, yeah. is here to stay. You're just at the beginning of that. You know, there's a crazy person who walks around a town near me every weekend with a dog that's not on a leash. And he's like the town crazy guy, you know, like, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I don't mean mental illness, just like probably some drunk who lives in his mom's basement kind of deal. And he goes, let's sure. go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. And he acts like the dog is named Brandon. That's his big joke but he does no. the clap and calls the dog and walks up and down the street, like disturbing the peace in front of children and stuff in a very quintessential New England, beautiful town. And, you know, he's doing it because he's unleashed, you know, and the cops, you know, the fire department there is full on Trump people. They hang their posters and their blue flags and all that crap everywhere. So, you know, the, the authorities will wink at this stuff too. You know, that's why the cops are on Aaron Rodgers side, right? The cops ain't getting vaxxed either. Right. The same thing, this machismo kind of America, you know, the sons of sort of not too distant 
immigrants for the most part. You know, that's a lot of the people that filled up the suburbs, as I say every week, the white flight. You know, you're Irish and you're Italian Americans and you're Catholics and everybody who sort of came up to be mildly racist in the suburbs, right? Because you're talking yeah. nice and you're around other, you know, people. And Joey's a good guy. He's a cop. He works hard. He takes care of his family, right? But when Joey goes to the city, he treats black families and black people a lot different, right? And people didn't want to acknowledge that. That same constituency that would, didn't understand Black Lives Matter is completely susceptible to critical race theory. So all you have to do is give them a dog whistle, right? So they're fighting against something. So they'll allow the nuisance factor of the guy walking up and down the street with his dog chanting, let's go, Brandon. Do you know what I'm saying? They'll yeah. use this sort of like disruptive bullying mentality to their advantage. And, you know, as we know, the Republicans have no shame. So they're right. just doing it all the time. And the Democrats, they all want to be the executive producer of punked rather than journalists <laughs> these days. Right. They want to do yeah. their own version of that, which is not helpful. You know, it might get you a lot of clicks and get you famous and get you mentioned on nightly news shows, but it's not really where we should be at. You shouldn't right. be pretending to be somebody else and interviewing a politician. It shouldn't, everything shouldn't be this hidden camera gotcha kind of punk bullshit. I, I, that stuff never interested me from Borat on. I know Borat's brilliant. I just, it makes me uncomfortable because the whole discourse gets to who pulled off the latest stunt and got more clicks. And now that person gets to like gin up more emotion in people. And that's what is driving elections now is anger and fear and rage and all this. It, that's not what it's supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about empathy, compromise, and figuring out how to have a balanced society, right? right. You know, and, and we've lost that in, in both extremes, you know, and, and I'm as liberal and progressive as it gets. You know, I'm not saying that we need pushback against that. In, in, in actuality, I'm saying you need to follow the AOCs and the people that are doing it through purely legislative fashions, you know, fashion or Stacey Abrams, somebody like that. That's who you need to get behind now. Your Katie Porters, you know, your people that are clearly well versed in, in what the issues we face at the moment are and how to go about getting them. It's not just everyone trying to start the next Lincoln's project and make a ton of money. In the meantime, right. that is helpful to some extent, but it can become unhelpful and a distraction. And it enriches the people that are getting your clicks together. And they're not really giving that money to food <laughs> banks and stuff. They're using that to pay themselves millions of dollars to be brilliant political consultants. People are getting paid millions to write left articles on the left. And look at me and look at my outrage. The whole thing has just become a machine at this point. That if you're not part of the machine, it's going to deliver you the same results it delivered in 2016 when everybody went along with it and nobody wanted to speak out. And I called up my colleagues and said, we should tell the truth about this guy. You know, screw the NDAs. We know who he really is. Let's tell people. And they're like, no, I want to work again, man. <laughs> like, I'm not going to do it. It ain't worth it. He's probably not going to win anyway. And then he did win and nobody worked because he was so bad at it. He shut down the country because he was so worried about himself. And that's my point with these other organizations. When people are worried about making money, right. you know, and what their competition is in making the next cool video, they forget about why they came, you know, and that's what happens to politicians. Joe Manchin forgot about the poor people in West Virginia that he represents. He's thinking about 
I got a 2017 Maserati and I think that new 2022, <laughs> you know, is looking even sweeter. Yeah. I, I should be in a Maybach. My head's too big for a Maserati. How does he fit that big old jar head in that thing anyway? You ever see well, that guy's head? He looks like a half deflated football or something. No <laughs> mansion. Well, and I, I'm a guy that has a, a ginormous head. So, you know, I would have to oh, make sorry, a comparison, dude. but I, I'm saying I understand his pain. You know, it takes a lot of <laughs> neck weight to hold this up, but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, man, like, and I, I've brought this up before, but, you know, Lauren Boebert wasn't a well-off person before she got into Congress, you know? So if you have 20 other of these chaos agents going in where they're trying to right a few of their wrongs in their life, right? They're trying to build up their bank account or put their kids in a position so that they don't have to worry about money ever again. I'm saying the folks that are coming in are not only deplorable, they're also desperate because they've never had access to these kind of contacts before. You know, when you have privileged jobs like this, it opens all kinds of opportunities that are then sustainable once you're out of Congress. Like it's all a grift now. The idea of working in government is not about service anymore. It's about taking away from the people because they know it's just getting paid into. Right. And these are and they're world famous now. Marjorie yeah. Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert are two of the most famous women in the United States. Whether you yeah. want to admit that to yourself or not, they're household names. And that is worth money. Right. You get booked because you get a lot of followers. These are people that no one had heard of a year and a half ago. Right. Marjorie Taylor Greene was a Q-tuber. Okay. Lauren Boebert's middle name is Opal. Okay. She was born in Florida and worked at a McDonald's. I've worked at a McDonald's. I'm not shaming that. I'm just saying she barely got her GED. People with money saw that she had a future in Republican politics and they wanted to own up, you know, open up mineral, more mineral drilling in Colorado. So they put her, they found her. She was an actress, dude. She was on websites appearing as an actress. She owned Shooters, you know, a stupid like Hooters ripoff where we'll have guns and titties, you know, like, <laughs> it's the dumbest shit in the world. Right. And they're like, that person will fit this climate perfectly. And then she goes there and all of a sudden she's got tons of money and she's paying off back debt and using campaign funds for her own stuff. And and they're famous. And you can't discount the narcissism factor here. Clearly, uh, Manchin gets off on it. Kristen Cinema is a goddamn psychopath. You know, she liked it more than anyone else. And they just found out she was part one of the reasons she was installed and and, and a group that doesn't give money to anybody else gave money to her because they wanted her to kill this bill, which is basically anti Ponzi schemes, these viral marketing things where you sell Mary Kay or whatever cosmetics. Mm -hmm. And if I sign you up, then you're going to get money. It's a Ponzi scheme. You know, if you're in on the top of it, you'll make money and everybody else suffers and it should be regulated. And there's a bill to sort of crack down on it. And they want, you know, they want her to kill the bill. So they gave her a bunch of money and guess what she's going to do, <laughs> you know, just like she did pharma and, and, and big you know hedge funds and stuff that pay her to go to vineyards you know so you're getting tons of money you're getting fame you have the power right because fame will screw you up if you're just like a comedian and get famous or a singer you know i've worked around famous people my entire adult life okay since i was a kid myself since i was younger 22 years old you know i was doing shows with Aretha Franklin and Tony Bennett, guys that were really, and girls that were really famous. And then I saw grunge guys become famous. You know, somebody like Dave Grohl is the same dude now that he was before he was famous because he was a good guy who had a great heart and he didn't change. He enjoyed it with gratitude. 
right? But I've seen a million other acts come up when I was doing the VMAs. You know, I did that for 20 years. I would see these people come in and just act like complete tools. You know, they'd been famous for five minutes. They didn't understand yet that you don't make any money in the beginning in the music industry. You know, it's about hang on to album three. This is back when people even still sold out. Now you only make money playing live, but unless you're a couple of people, but, um, you know, they didn't even realize like, oh, you think you're really famous now, but you don't have the part of the career that you get to keep until you really prove it. But they'd already started like buying into the head trip, you know, and being assholes and they'd be out of the industry so quickly. And I could name 20 acts like that right now. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, I remember them. You know what I mean? Like, but you just don't. Yeah. You know, and they thought they were huge at the time. You know, this is the next big thing. It's you never you're always the next big thing until you're you know are the big thing. So my point is, it'll screw up anybody's head, right? Okay. Like Bill Murray said, like when you're famous, you get to be an asshole for a year, and that's your <laughs> excuse for that, and the rest is on you, essentially. So imagine these women, you know, these people that came from you know, methlick. Arkansas or wherever Georgia you know what I mean like Marjorie Taylor Greene was running a gym yeah. like beating on her husband with other weightlifters you know and, and shooting up steroids or something in the back you know and then <laughs> and she becomes a Q-tuber they find her and make her the candidate against this Democrat that they ran out of Georgia and now she's uh, visiting the DC jail as she did last night you know, and putting out these Twitter threads saying like, she'll never forget the screams of the persecuted political prisoners. She acted like she was visiting a German POW camp. What the hell are we doing to that? The best, uh, you know, sentence we can get for somebody who went into the Capitol was two months long. Like that's the most extensive punishment we've handed out. Like we know it's a slanted deal, you know, and it's a, it's a rigged game when it comes to our justice system. But these are domestic terrorists. Like, let's stop, uh, you know, trying to pretend like these guys were, you know, just trying to go on tours. They're domestic terrorists and they should be in Guantanamo Bay. If you had it, if it was up to me, you know, like, I don't know, you know, it depends on the shade of skin color that we're dealing with. Uh, depending on that, that defines how the, how the media is going to carry the narrative. Yeah, obviously, you know, if, if those people were Muslim or African-American, they wouldn't have made it away from the Capitol that day, right? They, they, they would have been lucky to get locked up, you know, because they would have been shot down and murdered. But like, they're white guys, and, and you have to go easy on them, right? Because that's, you know, the system is designed to protect white folks. Right? Wasn't Merrick Garland brought in to kick ass? I mean, isn't it about no. time for him no. to wake up? <laughs> People forget he was chosen because Obama knew the Republicans wouldn't object to him because he was conservative. He spoke at the Federalist Society. They were like, they, he, they surely won't have a problem with him. He's one of them. I'm giving them one of them. And they didn't take it because they were that emboldened at that point that McConnell's like, no. And now they got three picks, as we all know. Like, so th they'll play dirty and we play nice and we get screwed. You know, Merrick Garland should... I had a feeling like he was going to be the first person that like Biden would eventually have to replace, you know, in his cabinet. I, I just felt from the beginning, like something feels off and I have no expertise in this area. I'm just a, a person observing it, but I do understand we have a desperate need for justice in this country. We need to balance the scales. You know, there's scales for a reason when you look at the symbol of, of justice, right? You need it. You need to like bend the arc back towards doing the right thing. 
And at this point, he hasn't even sent out an arrest warrant for Steve Bannon, you know, who's basically been on the lam for, for 12 days now. You know, he <laughs> defied Congress. I would be so terrified if I did something like that. If I don't show up for jury duty, it it weighs on my psyche. This guy's <laughs> like, yeah, January 6th commission where a bunch of people attacked the Capitol and I was intimately involved in it with a corrupt criminal president and in the hotel room and there the whole weekend. Screw you. I don't got to tell you anything. And the attorney general, like there's no recourse. He's just doing his podcast and putting Marjorie Taylor Greene on the air and spreading yeah. more. It's like, how do you not feel they're in on it? The, you know, how does Trump get away with all he gets away with? You know, he killed his executives in the 80s in a helicopter crash that was obviously a mob hit. Nobody investigates it. You know, his own pilot gets busted with a bunch of kilos of cocaine in Ohio. They move the case to his sister's district in Jersey, who's a federal judge. And the guy gets off with a slap on the wrist, gets out of Danbury in like a year and gets a condo in Trump Tower for being nice, for taking one for the boss. Do you know what I'm saying? You uh -huh. go to jail for the mob, you get a reward if you keep your mouth shut, capiche? You know, like, and the guy got to go on and have a career selling cocaine in Trump Tower for the last 20 years. Right. Trump gets away with everything. He really does. I don't mean to bring it back to the guy, but you have to understand, like, Trump had a lot of sympathy in the Department of Justice. And, and Garland didn't go in and clean house. He left the people in positions who were, like, tapping reporters phones and trying to bug like Adam <laughs> yeah. Schiff's office and stuff and kids you know Garland left those people in there as I said he should have walked in day one say you know if you were appointed or went along with any Trump policies raise your hand and everyone who raised your hand okay go get a box out of the closet put your pens in the box get the hell out of here you're fired <laughs> you know like you have you had to write that ship and we didn't and you know, in many ways, it's too late because everyone's seen that these guys got away with it and they're going to do it again. They're not hiding. You know, I said after January 6th, people should have been running out, pulling those Trump stickers off of their pickup. <laughs> in a healthy country, that would have been the one thing that you saw that on January 7th, you wouldn't really see any more Trump signs. You wouldn't see all the bumper stickers because people would be ashamed of how far it, it went, you know, and how bad it got. You thought that most of these suburban guys would be like, yep, that was too much for me. Dude's name doesn't get to be on my truck anymore. But it didn't happen. <laughs> you know, it didn't happen. He's more popular than ever. So you didn't have the infrastructure in place to deal with that. The leader of the Senate, you know, the Democrat, Chuck Schumer, letting everybody go home for two weeks. And then they come <laughs> back and then they get another two week break for Thanksgiving. The next committee hearing is when they come back. They come back for like a day or two, have one more hearing, and then they go on vacation again for two weeks. That's not the kind of justice we need at this moment. We needed somebody rounding everybody up by the scruff of their necks by the end of February and saying, this is who did it. This is who worked in, in the Capitol, who aided them. You know, Marjorie Taylor Greene had a Let's Go Brandon sign outside of her office on a big piece of paper where she has all her fan letters from MAGA morons that like write her telling her she's doing a great job, right? Outside yeah. the office, which Jimmy, I know you're not familiar with the area. I worked on Capitol Hill. Like it's so crazy just to hang up stuff outside of your office anyway. It's such right. a, it's not your hospital window door. It's, uh -huh. it's not, it's the halls of Congress. You don't need to put all your personal crap on the outside of your office door, you know, put it in your room. But, um, the fact that she did that would just hang that thing and then have it stolen and complain about it shows you they have no fear. 
right? They're not worried. She went to visit the prisoners, right? Last night. <laughs> Louis Gomert. Right. Yeah. So she's not worried. You know, she wasn't worried that one of them was going to be like, hey, remember how you showed me? You know, like she's not uh-huh. even scared because they have nothing to be afraid of. They got yeah. us on the ropes, Jimmy. They got let's go, Brandon. They got Aaron Rodgers. They have their army and it's been undeterred and they may be freaks and they may be morons, but they have massive reaches. 400 million people download Joe Rogan's podcast, something insane like that. We're lucky to get 4,000 people here in this, you know, and I'm doing well and I'm not trying to tell you to do anything anyway, you know, but the fact that a guy like that has that kind of reach shows you you're dealing with something that you've never seen before. And I'll answer your question for, I know what the original question was, you know, but you're dealing with something you've never seen before, Jimmy, and you have to change minds. Like you're in the middle of it. You're in Indiana. You know, a lot of people, you got to do your bros. Like, why do you feel that way? Why are you opposed to gay marriage? Why are you thinking that, you know, you don't need to learn about critical race theory? Most white people don't know anything about the horrors of this country in the Jim Crow era, let alone slavery. Do I think what? See, one of the things that has held back human progress, especially in this country, is that white people are too scared to learn anything that might negatively impact their perception of their ancestors and who they are. This stuff is too scary for white people to even hear, let alone absorb and apply. So I guess for me, on a ground level here in Indiana, how do I make it approachable for somebody to even hear what I have to say? Look, what are people so scared of? They fucking watch horror movies and play video games, collect guns and are obsessed with violence and all this, you know, the language, even the language of love is violent. I'm going to hit that. You know, I'd tap that like all this, you know, so everything is this toxically masculine stuff. Then why can't you like man up and hear about what we did in this country? And most of the people that need to hear it aren't the people that did it. right? Right. Most of the folks in this country came here after in you know the early 20th century is when most of these folks that are sort of maga you know morons and the guys that i'm talking about these dudes you know their their grand dads came here and laid bricks and stuff you know and built things and worked hard and it's thing in the face of those guys you know it was only through changing that we became this sort of beacon of of hope that we were supposed to be in the world you know, give me, give us your hungry, you're tired, you're sick, you're poor. We're supposed to be living up to these ideals that everybody's welcome here if you want to work hard. So the best way to start talking about that is say, hey, you want to know who really built this place? It wasn't us. <laughs> you know, it was some people that we brought here and enslaved and never paid for their labor to this day and did everything we could do to hold them down. And the people that we even stole the land from, we really screwed them. Like we put them on reservations, you know, the ones that we let live. You have to recognize that. We're about to celebrate Thanksgiving. You know, the tribe that helped the Thanksgiving, you know, the first pilgrim survive regrets it to this day because they Mm -hmm. got screwed. They reacted with humanity, right? And how did the white man react? Well, I got to take this. I got to outsmart these guys and and kill them and steal their stuff. And people want to act like that never happens. You know, there was a, on Tuesday, I watched Martha McCallan is her name, some hag on Fox News, right? A blonde with big titties that got, had to do probably God knows what, you know, with, uh, what's his name? Oh, Roger Ailes? Right, Roger Ailes. Like, you just look at this girl, like, God, I I shudder to think what Roger 
put her through. Okay. And I'm not saying that because I think it's funny. I think it's fucking disgusting. And it was a right. big part of the business. Everybody knew that. Les Moonves, Matt Lauer, none of this shit was a secret in Hollywood. People just don't talk about it. So, but anyway, she's she got her money, right? She's getting the gig. So she was on there now and she's interviewing two people on Tuesday in Virginia, two like suburban, you know, moms, right? Right. And the one late, and they were talking about critical race theory. And the one lady, like, and they'll do this sometimes on Fox News where they don't see that they have a Democrat sitting in front of them. <laughs> they kind of get, because there's so many people, like, they pre-vet them so well to say what they mean to say. You know, they say, here, you're going to go on and you're going to make this point, okay? And then we're going to cut back to Jean Piero or whatever box wine lady is, you know, who helped fund, by the way, January 6th. She gave a bunch of money to these organizations too. But anyway... So this Martha McCallan is sitting there interviewing this lady and the lady goes, hey, you know, I want them to tell the truth in schools. I don't like that. They're just telling them like Christopher Columbus was some hero and they leave out the genocide and stuff, you know, and Martha McCallan was like, what? You know, I'm going to have to fact check that. I don't know that that's really true. And of course she knows it's true, but she doesn't. That's not the party line. You don't want that slipping out. Cause you got a statue in your town of, you know, the great Italian, you know, who, who discovered, you know, who never set foot on the mainland, who was a maniac, who did horrible things that if you just read a page or two of them, you're sick to your stomach, but you don't get better unless you figure out what went down. You know, a business that doesn't take a proper inventory is kidding it, itself about the value of its goods. And that's where we've come as a country. We're lying to ourselves about our self-worth. We're not a great country anymore. We're a deeply damaged country where every day I see on Twitter people like I would never visit the U.S. again or right now, you know, and I used to love coming there and there's no way I would go there now. And we're not alone in this. England is going through the same thing. You know, a lot of a lot of the sort of Western hemisphere is dealing with this rise in fascism, but it's happened before. It's happening now. And we got to do something about it while we can, because while it seems funny that Joe Rogan, you know, and Aaron Rodgers are spewing idiocy and lies. Right. It's not really funny because a couple steps down the road, that same rhetoric can be like, yep, yeah, I really do believe insert whatever group of people here is the enemy. And we can't be strong again until we get them all out of the country. Right. You know, we'll send them to camps. Like we know where this goes. And it and they use the same trappings. Authoritarians always use this machismo. It's always this virile, tough guy, leader, Franco and Mussolini and Trump, you know, and Hitler. And these guys are all dweeby assholes in real life, you know, which is part of the reason they get off on that. You know, it's why Joe Rogan's a tough guy, because he's a little short guy. I'm a little short guy. You're a little short guy, right? Little <laughs> short guys really aren't that tough. No, you know what I mean? You really. want to be and you get all jacked up. You're still fucking short. And you know that anybody over six foot can basically kick your ass no matter what you do. Like, cause they can pick you up, you know, you're short and it's on a fundamental level, guys who don't accept it, feel humiliated by it. And you can always see those little toxic bros. I mean, New York is full of them. You go to Jersey shore. It's all like five foot nine, you know, like Italian guys walking around all jacked up. And that's what Joe Rogan's like, you know, this hyper masculine dude, bro, which is fine. If you're just talking to other dude bros, but if you're opening your mouth, about a vaccination thing and about like medicine and you know nothing about what you're talking about and you're not a doctor 
and we can't get people to take a vaccine and put on a mask. So we're still dying of this stuff, you know, and you're playing arenas while everyone else is dying where us smaller comics don't get to make a living. Clubs all have to show vaccination cards at this stuff. So we don't have other flare ups and you're just playing arenas and places that don't even care. Right. That's just like, screw you. How much money do you need? You already have $80 million from Spotify. Like how greedy are these fucking people that they're not just like, Hey, maybe I should just shut the fuck up for a minute. Go drive my Lamborghini and jerk off to like men's health magazine or whatever it is that somebody like Joe Rogan does eat some bugs. Like what, what is wrong with these people? Well, and you know, it's frustrating for me because as somebody with disability, yeah, I was always kind of not picked on. I was never bullied extensively, but I, I was around bullies. I know what bullies look like. And these, that's what these guys have kind of become. They're roided out bullies that are weak-minded, that only care about their safety in the end. When really, you know, any bully that I've ever stood up to was never as tough as they, per, you know, perceived to the outside. And I get that these guys are intimidating, but at some point, somebody's got to stand up to these boys. Uh, I know that's a generic thing to say, but that's part of the frustration for me is that these guys are bullies and they have a bully mentality with everything they say. Yeah, know? it's about the, you know, it's bro culture. Hey, eh? don't, you know, I grew up in that yeah. homophobic kind of just douchey white guys. I mean, it's why I'm not really in comedy clubs and stuff, you know, because it's just, they're not beating down my door and it's so much of that. And I'm just like, I, I did it for, you know, a couple of years. I, you know, you're on showcases and just like stupid misogynistic joke after the other. And you're just like, why am I, I why is my like frequency in this room? <laughs> you know? Like, why is my consciousness being exposed to this ugliness, you know? And, and why am I a part of this art form sort of? And when I started getting a bit of a following, I'd feel bad because these, like, I'd say, Hey, I'm going to be at Caroline's Monday night, you know, beginner's night. And, 12, 15 people would show up because they wanted to hear me talk about the political stuff. And the, and the guy hated me who ran the show. So he'd put me on, you know, towards the end that it's 18 comics. So my people are sitting here listening to like the 15th comic, you know, talk, do a dick joke or something, which is part of how it all works out. But, it, you know, it's just so, you know, or, or the macho stuff. You know, there's a lot of New York comics that is just make fun of the audience member. You know, what is this? You guys are uh, here for a NAMBLA convention? You know, it's that, that right. is this a Tinder date or, you know, or whatever? What's the gay, you know, like grinder? You guys on a grinder date? Like, you hear <laughs> right. that a lot. You know, it's just yeah. that, that kind of locker room. Anytime it goes to that sex stuff, it's just like, ugh. if it's not part of a joke, you know, if it's not a written kind of thing and it's just a hectoring. But my yeah. point is, those guys are always there. They're always deeply insecure. You know, anybody who's super misogynistic has issues and he's afraid of women. And he's afraid of intimacy. You know what I mean? He's attracted to his mom or whatever. You know, there's all kinds right. of creepy, weird shit that people get into and don't heal themselves. But it's, you know, Trump was a bully. People would ask me like, why, how come he doesn't sue you? Or why aren't you scared? No, man, he's a bully. I saw the guy. He's the most terrified little man you're ever going to meet you know and so is his son his sons are like they're like Freudian case studies and just like weird oh edible like you know Don Jr. hated his father right he hated his father because he knew what his dad did to his mom and Don bonded with his his Czechoslovakian grandparents okay his mom is it was Ivana Trump and that's who he bonded with he hated his dad 
even through after college and he moved out to Aspen and the, the Rockies and he was like a ski bum, like bartender, cokehead, you know, he partied, but then he became his dad. Then once he sort of like realized he couldn't outrun it, he became the guy. He became this monster sort of towards women and this fake machismo puffing his chest out little punk, right? Shooting animals and, you know, all this kind of stuff, like sort of trying to like reach what his father thought was like who he should be as a man and that he'd never, you know, measure up and stuff. Cause his dad would punch him in the face for not wearing a suit. And <laughs> Trump is an awful person. Like he shouldn't have been raising kids. He, he was a, he was a maniac since he was a kid. So you can yeah, imagine yeah. how he treats his like namesake son. Like they hate each other, but he becomes him. And that's what happens. You know, that's what happens with sort of abusers. You don't heal and examine yourself. You become these things you don't want to be, you know, that show Ted Lasso. I finally saw some, but you would like that, Jimmy. Did you watch it? I don't have uh, Apple plus. It's the only streaming thing I don't have. I'm going to have to get a month and try it out. Yeah. You would so, like that show, but anyway, there's yeah. a soccer player who's like really arrogant and kind of a jerk. And then they show like his father, you know, being that way to him and stuff. And, and that's sort of what happens. It's like, if we don't heal from things, we pass it on. And the right. goal is to be as sensitive as you can, as we always say to every living creature. You know, I picked up a yoga mat that's been out on the deck today and I knew better because whenever you leave something for a long time in the country, bugs will go live under it, right? right. Things will like find a home there, especially when it start get, starts to get cold. And I lifted up this yoga mat and there was a spider, you know, who had his little nest. He had laid eggs and he had all this nest all tightly, you know, and I disturbed that. I put it back right away and tried to make sure like he had enough space under there, but it's uh -huh. bummed me out all afternoon because I sort of messed with something and I messed with the natural order of life. You know, this spider was keeping its babies warm. You know, he had them in this protected place that because I'd left the thing there for a couple months undisturbed, he had a right to presume that a caring universe was supporting him, you know, and giving him this safe place where he wouldn't get rained on in the middle of the night and stuff. And then I sort of like in a moment of unconsciousness, because I knew you should be careful in moving that, but it's cold out and maybe the bugs are gone and you can't leave it there forever. And so I disturbed it. And my point is, had I been just a little more sensitive or listened in a little deeper to my intuition in the moment, I would have prevented that. And to me, life is about developing your awareness and your sensitivity to all the layers of life, to all the mm -hmm. vibrations, because everything's made out of vibrations, Jimmy. That's what atoms, that's what all this, those rocks are just vibrating atoms behind me. They've been formed into a fireplace, but we're all sort of made out of like ultimately the same material and anything that's breathing and animated and has eyes and like emotions and stuff, which is any sentient being. You know, and it's trees, you know, trees scream when you cut them down, they communicate through their roots with other trees and stuff. There's a lot of power and beauty in nature and, and we, we ignore it. And my point is, the more you become attuned to it, the more aware you'll become. And when you gain awareness, you gain the thing that can heal the world. We can't think our, our way out of this now, Jimmy, we have to go beyond our minds. You know, that's what the solution is really going to be. Everybody becoming so sort of present and aware that they find their own sort of inner goodness and reject these labels and this dogma that they've sort of been hoodwinked into believing, right? And you think, well, that's never going to happen because these guys are morons, right? And I get it. 
I think that too, you know, 90% of this podcast is about me just ranting on these idiots and how they've been brainwashed. But at the end of the day, they're human beings. They're alive, sentient beings. And they have that sort of kernel of truth within them. Every human does, you know, it's like Jesus was like, forgive them, like father, they know not what they did or what they do or whatever. Obviously, I don't know anything about the Bible, right? But he said that, right? Basically, he was forgiving the people that were crucifying him because they were. he knew they were doing it out of ignorance. And that's what a lot of this stuff is. People are acting out of ignorance because they've forgotten how to go within themselves. Hmm. You know? And when you go deep within yourself, you see yourself in other things. And when you start seeing yourself in other things, then you see what truth is. And truth is just light. You know, truth is love. It's just recognizing yourself and everyone you meet, you know, try doing that. And, and, and that's where you'll find the solutions. As I say, you can't think your way out of this. You can't talk your way out of this. We're all going to keep trying, but ultimately the answer will come from us coming together in presence. Right. And that's what happens at shows. You asked how we could change this because sports, you know, bring us together. And those great moments in sports are metaphors. Just like a great moment, you know, at a concert where the lights are off and everybody's listening to Springsteen, you know, rock out for the third hour, right? And, and no one's a Republican and a Democrat. Everyone's just like grasping a little bit of freedom and rock and roll and good time and in the moment and sweating together and singing together, you know, and crying together and laughing together. And that's what brings us together. So you have to cultivate that. You know, if you, if you have a desire to be a part of the solution, find what that thing is, you know, find out where you can get everybody to get a little bit of that spirit and that feeling, you know, you got to find your own magic and then you got to share it with the world. And that's how you change the place, Jimmy. Well, and, um, no, uh, for folks that listen to my podcast, JBK on air, my second interview on that show was with my dad. Uh, it was done a few years before, uh, you know, it, it had already been recorded, but he had talked about how when he played music, his favorite thing was communicating with the audience. You know, they're not looking at their phone. They're not watching TV. They're paying attention to the people that are in front of them at their table that are playing the music. And then it kind of creates a feedback loop. Right. And I've just tried to carry that, you know, and everything that I do to try to, it's, it's talking, I'm talking about empathy, essentially you're, you're tapping into the feelings of other people around you. But I, I learned that from my dad, you know, when he would play music that all you're trying to do is communicate back and hopefully they give you some kind of uh, signal that they're listening. And somehow we're going to have to raise the frequency uh, of, of this country. And I think if we can allow ourselves to not be ignorant to the stupidity that we've seen and actually talk to them, then, then we have a chance. It's going to take a lot of um, patience on our part. We've already displayed a lot, but it's going to take more. That's my point. Yeah, well, and it's also, you know, it's why we can't divide the healing. You know, part of the problem we're facing now is that like life can't come back online, essentially, because yeah. people are exploiting the differences for shameless political gain. You know, Fox News is doing it to make money. So you get people like I'm not getting vaccinated. And then they keep giving other people the disease. <laughs> you know, right. what I mean? so we don't get everybody back at a Jimmy Buffett concert, you know, or, or whatever it is that like where people kind of come together and realize, oh, you know what? I don't hate that person that much. You know, I did go to high school with them. I do have something in common with them. You know, part of the problem with all this is like, it's easy to be an enemy online. 
it's easy yeah. to say like fuck all to anybody sorry to curse <laughs> right when you know that they're just you can block them and whatever you know it's a lot harder to do that face to face the healthy normal human doesn't really want to pick fights and have conflict in every interaction but now people are like so amped up by this stuff that they're seeking it out right they're going out without a mask and they got this whole thing in their head what they're going to do when someone asks them to put on a mask you know and it it's violent it's crazy cuz you're you're sort of activating a character defect that's already in somebody you know there's a in and sobriety like they say you your slip happens before you take the first drink right you already know it's coming cuz there's this unrest in you and once that sort of like germinates you want to act out upon it you want to follow it through and that's a lot of what we're seeing with the anti-vaxxers and people not wearing masks is they're just following through on this sort of like storm that's been lit inside them you know i sort of have to do something to validate all this anger and stuff and it's it's a it's a complicated psychological phenomena that i don't think the world has ever really seen before you know we're really witnessing something that's you know amazing and we didn't even get into the QAnon people this week that showed up <laughs> in Plaza in Dallas. Oh, yeah. You know? And hundreds wow. and hundreds of people, right? We're not talking two dozen. We're talking, you know, three, four, five, six, seven hundred people thought JFK Jr. Mm. was coming back. You know, like <laughs> it's insane. You know, it's insane. Yeah. But so my point is it shows you how far sort of it has gone, you know, and how activated these people are and how you really want to figure out a way to start dealing with it and treating it in some kind of holistic way because think of the united states as a classroom like it's in our classroom right we can't just transfer these kids out to another school because they're being disruptive we're stuck with them you know we're, we're stuck with like trying to deal with them you don't we don't have to be stuck with the the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Boberts and all these people we need to try and vote them out if you can I mean North Carolina just past the most draconian you know they just 78 percent of the state basically gets a republican vote now <laughs> carryman, yeah no it's just insane so it'll be challenged but if things like that go through it it probably doesn't even matter that much you know the republican minority is going to be in power for a long time but if you do get the opportunity to vote them out you better do it and then you better get to change in the minds of the people there in your community you know every little bit helps every little act of kindness will undo you know the the sort of darkness that's fallen upon us as a nation well and something that you brought up and i totally agree anybody in opposition to progress is at some point against love an opposition to progress is an opposition to love i get that people are set in their ways and that some people are going to be offset by changes that are coming but it's it's bigger than us it's bigger than an individual job or a community that might have a little bit of a change like it's we need to save this planet and big changes need to happen on a community level you know you were talking about politics it can't just happen in new york or indiana it needs to happen throughout the country so then we can see incremental changes from time to time there you <laughs> so go exactly yeah. all right folks well i think that's a good place to leave it for this week episode 36 of the Noel Castler podcast. Take care of yourselves. Come out to see me if you're listening. Norwalk, November 28th, Boston City Winery, December 27th, the eve of Christmas Eve. Noel is going to be in the house and I'll be on January 26th. I'll be at Iridium in New York City. Until then, you can find me on Twitter or noelcastler.com. 
you know where to find Jimmy, but he's going to tell you right now. JBKonair.com. Also, JBKonair for Twitter and Instagram. There you go. So check us out. Thanks for listening. We love you guys. Stay safe. About to lose an hour of daylight this week. So you're going to hear this on a day that's going to be a little darker. But don't worry. Spring is coming soon. It's not really. I just figured that was a good way to end. All right. (laughs) It's a long, dark winter, folks. But keep listening. We'll keep you warm. Peace.